0: Today's episode is a really important conversation. This is something that we've talked about a lot over the last couple of seasons, but it's the idea of business ownership transition. Now, Julie Keys is our guest today, and she's someone that I was connected with through a mutual friend, Phil Connor, who works for HHT. And Julie is the author of a book called Poised for Exit. She's someone who specializes in helping businesses Get ready to sell and just you know help them understand what that entire process is like. Because selling a business is not as simple as just flipping the switch and saying, Hey, I want to retire next year. Like, let's sell this baby. It doesn't work that way, especially for retailers in the hearth industry. Now, a lot of the clients that she works with are bigger companies, companies that are that are north of five million dollars and, and, and you know, much, much bigger than that. But I think what she says is still so relevant for us, and I'm I'm excited for you to listen to her. She's somebody who's, like I said, she's written a book, she's got online courses, and she's also got a podcast as well just to help business owners, and there's links to all of that in the show notes. But, you know, one of the big things that we discussed today is kind of the stark reality of of what a a buyer is looking for when it comes to a business. And, you know, it's a picture that, that, should make a lot of us listening pause and think, Oh man, if I want to get out, I better start now. I mean, I, I, at one point I asked her in the conversation, how long in in your professional opinion does it take for a business owner that is in it every single day, everything relies on them to, to be at the point where their business is, is ready to be sold. And and I'm not going to give away the answer, but it's, it's pretty shocking. Now, we talk a lot about just the reality of, of where many businesses are, but I'm telling you that there's hope. And as, as we go through the conversation, she paints a picture of what life can look like for business owners. And, and it's it's beautiful. I mean, you know, while this is a conversation that largely revolves around selling a business, man, she she paints a picture of, of, you know, let's say let's say that you're in your early 60s and you haven't invested in systems and processes for your business, but you start now. You get your books in order, And you start delegating authority. What would happen if in a year and a half to two years, you could be at your cabin two to three weeks out of the month and you make high-level decisions for your business, you have some periodic phone calls, But you have a general manager in place that really runs most of the day-to-day. You're still the owner, the business hasn't sold, but it's become a passive stream of income with a lot less input from you so that you can travel, enjoy time with your loved ones, and do the things that you've always wanted. I think that sounds pretty good, and I can't wait for you to hear this conversation with Julie where we dive into all the details to make it happen. Joining me all the way from Minneapolis, Minnesota, is the founder and president of Key Strategies and the author of Poised for Exit. I'm joined today by Julie Keys. Julie, how you doing? Doing great, Tim. Thanks for having me on the show. Oh, my pleasure. You know, it's pretty cool. So we got connected by Phil Connor, who's a mutual friend, and he emailed me and said, Tim, you know, there's such a need for businesses to understand transition planning and, and how to even go about you know, selling their business or, or, you know, passing it off to their kids. And you've got to talk to Julie because she's an expert and he's absolutely right.
1: <laughs> hmm. Well, thank you. There's always something to learn.
0: <laughs> yeah. And I'd, I'd love to talk to you. So so you're an author of this book, Poised for Exit. And this is just such a hot button topic in our industry right now. Why has this been such a, a passion project of yours to help business owners transition?
1: Well, that's a good question. I think that it's kind of multifaceted. So first, I'll share that I've been an entrepreneur my whole life. And I've been through my own exit experience, and it wasn't the most pleasant exit experience. And, and and you know, growing up in an entrepreneurial home, both of my parents were Um, business owners, their parents were business owners. So to have that on both sides of my family, and then my parents as well. And now my, you know, myself and my two sisters, we all own our own companies. We just were raised that way. And, and I saw good things and not so good things. You know, we had family businesses in the mix of all of that too: farming business, banking business, you know, leaving a legacy isn't as easy as you think. And, There are different talents and skills that people have that they bring to the table that may or may not emulate those of the previous generation. And so I've always just had this passion, I guess is the word. I hate to use the word passion because it's kind of overused right now, I think. But I really have been committed to the small business community in this country. You know, not just in my own area where I live, but but all over. Um, because I've lived it, because I lived it during my upbringing, but also in my adult life. I know how hard it is to own and, and operate a business. And and sometimes the business really owns you. You feel like you don't even own it anymore, right? Yeah. And so that's that was one of the reasons why I got into this, why I wrote the book, because I wanted to help people, especially women, because I lived through all that too. It's kind of different for women. But I really wanted to help business owners to be able to exit on their own terms and not make the same mistakes that I did if that makes sense. That's
0: yeah, that's so good. And you know, you talked about not having a great experience with your first, you know, exit transition of a business, mm-hmm. but can you paint the picture of like what's what's a worst-case scenario? I know that there's a lot of business owners listening to this that are in their 60s, they've been doing this for a number of years. And, and they're, and they think like, well, at some point I'll just be able to sell the business, but it's not quite that easy. Can you talk about what's the, what's the worst case scenario if you don't get your business ready to sell?
1: Well, I think that worst case scenario is possibly a matter of opinion. So I'll just give you mine. All right. Sure. In my opinion, worst case scenario would be that the business is not sellable, that I can't even sell the assets because they're either antiquated or they're not worth anything or I don't have any, and then I have to shut the doors and, you know, file a business bankruptcy. I think that that would probably be the worst case scenario.
0: (laughs) And that's not what we want. We want to, we want to be able to make it to where you sell it for a profit. Your legacy continues and that the business owner pays you a fair market price and then is able to make money for years to come. Like that's what we want,
1: right? Exactly. But it doesn't, it doesn't just come because we hope for it. Okay. I think that business owners sometimes have this mentality that because they've worked so hard for so long that they deserve to have a good outcome. And I wouldn't argue with that; they do deserve it. But if they haven't planned for a good one, they're not going to obtain a good one. And hope is not a strategy.
0: Yeah. Okay? Well, let's get real practical here. I, I feel like I've, I've got this consulting time. I want to, I you know, just imagine that, that you're consulting with all of our, our audience members here. Let's let's start with how long do you think it takes to, to get a business that has not ever thought about selling mm-hmm. to get to a point where they're really ready to sell the business?
1: It depends a lot on how dependent the business is on the owner, okay? If the owner is- um, Let's imagine very dependent. Yeah, okay. Which is the bulk of small business in the United States or even around the world. That's Basically, that's how it is. 95% of them are like that you call that a lifestyle business so that if the owner goes away, the business goes away. Yeah. Most of them won't sell. I'm just going to say it. They're just not going wow. to because they're too dependent on the owner. The, the owner uses the business to maintain their lifestyle. It is their job. Um, they don't maintain any kind of cash position in the business. And so if they can't work or there's no business coming in for a month or so, they're pretty much done. So to turn something like that around, you're talking at least five years, maybe longer. You know, it depends on the, the kind of business that they're in. It depends on if the products and services are, are tired, okay? If they need to be expanded, like, is there a way that we could scale the business? Is there a way that we could delegate some of the work that we do so that it isn't completely dependent on us? If the business owner is the one who signs all the checks, if the business owner is the only one who can move money around, or um, not necessarily move money around, but who can make decisions about money, yeah. you know, paying bills and making deposits and signing paychecks, you know, making decisions about purchase orders, whatever it is, if they make all of the decisions and no one else really has any power to make any, then they can never leave. And that business owner is the one who also probably never takes a vacation. Yeah, because they can't. They can't take a vacation. Even if they do, they're still on duty.
0: Yeah, I, mm-hmm. you know that's a very stark picture that you're painting. But I, I think that there are a lot of companies in our industry that, that resonate with this. Mm-hmm. And you know, I, one of the one of the the big things as a business owner that it seems like is so important is that if if you're if you're thinking at all about exiting, probably in the next decade you got to think about replacing yourself. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean that you're obsolete and it doesn't mean that you can't find things to do that help grow the business. Mm-hmm. But but you have to try to replace the basic duties of, of running the business with somebody else because I'm, I'm just imagining that like in our industry, you know, the fireplace industry, I don't know many venture capitalists that set out and think, I want to get into the fireplace industry.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And and if someone from the outside was going to come in not knowing anything about the specifics of such an intricate and nuanced industry, you know they can't they can't buy a business if they have to be the one running it because they don't know all all the day to day they don't understand you know regulations and the way that products and cycles work they need to have a business that can largely run itself and they slowly come into it and understand it mm-hmm. you know I, I think that that's something that we don't think about enough
1: well most people start a business not everybody but most people start a business because they're really good at something or they really like a certain industry or have a certain social concern that they want to follow right and they aren't necessarily really good at running a business they're good at the technical side of something you know let's just say for instance a law firm let's just use them as an example sure and the reason why i, I say a law firm is because technically um, they're very astute they know their craft they know what they're doing you know they've worked very very hard to acquire the jd However, they don't learn anything about running a business in law school. And so that's why a lot of small independent law firms aren't making any money because they don't know how to run a business or they become acquired by a larger firm. And that happens in a lot of different smaller companies. And it doesn't mean that just because you're a smaller company and you're a lifestyle business that you don't have anything to sell. You could. You you just need to work on... Um, figuring out what that is right now. Say, for instance, sure. um, say for instance, you have a, a good amount of inventory, or you have a prime location where your business is located. Yep. Maybe you have a really valuable customer list, or you have a brand that's recognized uh, very well in your area. Um, maybe you've got a couple rock star salespeople. Those are all assets. Okay. Those are all assets that a competitor would probably be interested in. So you really need to take yeah, you got to take stock of what you've got.
0: Yeah, that that's really good. And so if we if we imagine that you know, a a business owner is thinking, you know, Hey, in the next two to five years, I got to, I got to turn this thing around. And, Mm -hmm. you know, they're in, in, in two years, they're not going to get to the point where they're able to go to Hawaii for nine months a year. But, but I do think like, if you are really willing to work at it over the course of a couple of years, you, you can really do a lot to start to build some of this infrastructure. What, what are going to be just some basic things that you need to have in place to sell your business?
1: You need to have someone to pass the baton to. Okay. While you're running your business, someone else should also be like your right-hand person so that you can take that time off. You do need to practice your exit. I, I firmly believe in that. And, and, and if you're so small that you can't afford to bring someone in, then, then, then what you can do to build um, value in your business is to make it as turnkey as possible so that someone else coming in who is going to take over for you and work the business like you have can, can come in and hit the ground running. They, we don't, you know, antiquated systems, um, intellectual property that's still in people's heads. I find that all the time. Nothing's documented. No one understands, you know, I couldn't come in and, and figure out what's actually happening because there's absolutely no documentation of it anywhere. It's all in the heads of the people who work there. Yeah. Okay. So, so taking and documenting, you know, how you do things and why you do things doesn't have to be like a huge manual, but just that alone can be really super helpful. And then having really good customer client records, having a really good brand message and having a good list of of organizations that you do business with and knowing you know that one supplier is a risk as well you know one key employee one supplier one customer any kind of concentration like that depletes value from a business we want to try to grow the value so like i mentioned before some of the things that grow value just focus on those things focus on what you can control because you can't control everything And you're not going to be a multi-million dollar company overnight if you're only doing a half a million right now. Mm -hmm. So, But it doesn't mean that you can't do something. I think that you just read some books. If you haven't read any books about how to prepare for a transition, read some books. You know, my book is going to be super helpful. There's other books out there. John Warlow wrote a book called Built to Sell. And that's a really good book, too, because it explains, it's basically his story of how he owned a company that was not sellable. It wasn't transferable at all. It was all about him. And he had super high customer concentration, you name it, right? And they were robbing Peter to pay Paul. They didn't have cash. And, you know, on and on it goes. But he changed that. He changed it around. And he wrote a book about it. And now he has the uh, value builder, you know, score that you can take. Um, I'm giving a commercial here for John Warlow. Um, But but anyway, but there's other, there's other books out there. Walking to Destiny that was written by Scott Snyder. I'm sorry, Chris Snyder from the Exit Planning Institute, which is where I got certified as an exit planner. Super good book, tells really good stories about clients that he's worked with and how they turned things around. So anyway, uh, maybe I'm going on too long about that, but I just I, I think that reading is a super good way for people to to really kind of apply what they're reading and what they're learning to what they've got going on in their own life.
0: No, this is so good. Because w- what I think about in our industry, I think generally speaking, many retailers in our, in our industry skew to the older side of the spectrum. And, and most haven't put their businesses in a place where they're they're really ready to sell. Mm-hmm. I, I had someone I, I know that has purchased a number of, of uh, fireplace stores tell me, Tim, I will never pay more than $100,000 for a, an entire business wow. Um, because he said there, because he said when I go in and the books are a mess, they don't know what they have in inventory. They have no systems and processes. Mm. No one, no one's going to be able to offer more than that. So I can come in at a very low price and get the business. But since I know the industry, I can turn it around and you know, that's, that's what this, this person does and you know, good for them. But I think that even though this sounds really depressing, I think that there's actually something incredible about the businesses in our industry because you think about this and, and many of them are going to be between one and a half and $3 million a year. And even with ownership running all kinds of personal expenses through the business, many of these businesses can be clearing a 10 to 12% profit net at, at the end of the year after paying themselves, everybody else. And and I think like that's a lot of money. That that really is a lot of money for somebody that is looking and 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 this is what the business like not having the systems and processes to where like it actually probably could be like a 4 to 5 million dollar business with just a little mm-hmm. bit of work i think that there that there is something to these businesses where if you're listening like you shouldn't feel dumb like oh my business isn't worth anything i can't do it no um rather i i think that you should realize like you know, there's probably a decent amount of money in your business because I I know that, you know, retailers can do really well in our industry. There's just not the fine tuning to show people on paper that the business is worth something because, you know, a lot of companies haven't kept retained earnings in the bank. Like you said, they have a weak cash position and they run a bunch of personal expenses through it so they don't have to pay taxes. But by backing those things out and actually showing that this business pays everybody pays the general manager and clears a really healthy net, that starts to look really attractive.
1: You can definitely make things look better by just normalizing your financials like you're talking about. The look back period for you know any buyer is generally three years. So they're going to want to look at three years financials, which means that if you start today, then you've got three years to clean up your financials so that they look good. The most important part of those three-year financials, though, is the last 12 months. So the trailing 12 months is what uh, they look at, you know, the most stringently, but the last three years. Okay, so, you know, like you said, taking out the personal expenses, um, paying yourself a decent wage, whether you're paying yourself too much or not enough, neither one are good. Okay. Oh, yeah. Because if you're not paying, you know, if you're not paying yourself enough and someone's interested in buying your business, then they're going to look at it and go, well, you're only paying yourself 40 grand a year, but you should be making 150, but the business can't support 150. So I don't think I could buy this business because I need to make 150. Yeah. You know? I mean... Yeah. A business owners should make 150 minimum <laughs> with a small business. Anyway, that's just my opinion. Yeah. Are are you a fan of going out to like work with a brokerage
0: to to find a buyer for a business? How do you recommend trying to find a buyer?
1: Well, a business broker is an important relationship to establish if you know that you have to sell externally. Okay. So a third-party sale means that you have no one internally to sell to. You don't have a management team that's interested or qualified. You don't have a family member that's interested or qualified and you don't have a partner who wants to buy you out. So you gotta go third party. And if you're gonna go third party, you're either gonna work with a business banker or you're gonna work with an investment banker. And the difference between the two is an investment banker works with larger companies, but the difference also is an investment banker is regulated by FINRA whereas a business broker is generally regulated by the state that they sell in. And it's usually a real estate license that they have to have in order to be able to sell a business with some additional education. But the continuing ed and the governing body is gonna be the commerce department for the real estate license because a lot of times smaller businesses have got real estate. Incidentally too, if you own real estate, your business owns real estate, um, it's always gonna be two separate transactions. So your real estate is a transaction. Your business is a transaction. Not everybody knows that. Oh, yeah. And your business should not be owned by you as an individual. I would just sat in on a meeting yesterday with a client and and an attorney. We were talking about his internal transfer that's going to be happening soon. And the attorney said, so how do you own that building? And my client said, well, we own it individually. And honestly, I had in my notes that they had it under an LLC. And so when he said that, I was like, really? Mm-hmm. I thought you said you owned it under an LLC. So that was the first thing the attorney said. He's like, we need to put that business in an LLC. We got to have another layer of protection, right? Mm-hmm. So so it sounds like in our industry,
0: most companies would be working with a business broker if they sold to a third party. And there's nothing inherently wrong with that, but the business broker is going to take a cut, right? I mean, like what kind of a percentage are, are they looking to give to a broker usually?
1: Yeah, it's usually 10%. 10%. Um, yeah. And the brokers are going to work, like I said before, with the smaller businesses, 10 million in revenue and under. And I would never just work with one person that I met. I would always, because I know I know that brokers and investment bankers, especially brokers are making a lot of phone calls and talking to a lot of business owners and um, getting them revved up, you know, that they might have a buyer for their business. I know that they do that. You know They smile and dial and there's nothing wrong with that because it's a good way for them to generate leads. But the business owners can get the wrong impression. And I've had this happen to my clients before and they'll say, oh, I'm getting all kinds of calls. I'll be like, who's calling you? And then they'll tell me and I'll be like, they just want to talk to you about selling your business. That doesn't mean that they have a buyer. Doesn't mean that your business is ready. So don't be flattered. Okay. Hmm. Doesn't mean that you shouldn't talk to them, but don't be flattered. You almost never get a call from someone who actually has cash in hand who wants to buy your business. It's usually an ulterior motive. And it doesn't mean that it's a bad one Hmm. because eventually you do have to have those services. Right. But I know because I have clients that are getting these calls. I'm like, just let's just be really careful about who we talk to and what we agree to give. We don't ever, ever, ever send anybody any information about our business, especially without a non-disclosure agreement signed which is another whole animal, right? Yeah. But I know that small businesses are um, getting these calls and they may be giving out more information than they should. Um, They might be getting calls from so-called competitors who maybe aren't even competitors. And so there's, there's stuff going on out there. And I'm not saying that they might not be legitimate buyers or legitimate um, representatives. I just want people to be really super careful about their own financial information about their business and their own intellectual property. Yeah.
0: Now that makes total sense. And I mean, I guess it sounds like, you know, there's nothing wrong necessarily with going with with a business broker, but they are going to be taking a percentage of the transaction. It seems like if you can sell the business internally rather than externally, that that seems like a good position because it seems like a little bit simpler transaction, um, the person that you're selling to, you, you probably know, and they know you. So there's some contextual and, and relational knowledge that can be passed back and forth. And, and I think I just hear so many stories in our industry of like an owner selling to their lead installer or to their office manager. And I think I'd, I'd love to talk about that. I mean, do you see that quite a bit with small businesses selling internally?
1: I do. And and I've I've got probably eight clients right now, or nine, I have nine clients, and there's six of them that are selling internally. And they're all different industries. The thing about selling internally, you know, there's pros and cons to that. The, the pros are that you're going to carry on your legacy, that you'll be able to help groom the people they're going to take over. You know, it kind of protects the, the, the employees and their status, right? You could probably stay involved for a while, stay on as a consultant or a part-time employee or whatever your role is going into the transition and still get paid for a while. Um, so there are some advantages. And not having to pay a commission. Um, the disadvantage, though, is, or, or some of them anyway, are that you're not completely done. So if your goal is to be completely done, you're not. And there, some business owners just want to be done. And it's also risky. It's risky for you know having to wait for your money when you're going internal. Versus selling externally, a lot of times you don't have to wait, at least you'd have a, you'd, you'd probably have your guard up a lot more for an external sale. So you'd agree to less your, your negotiables um, would be different going externally versus internally. Okay. And then, you know, when you when it's external, you might have a little bit more free time, even if you stay on for a while. If it's internal, you might still end up being super tied to the business and you don't generally get as much when you sell internally. You get more if you go external. Not always, but but generally. And and the thing is, regardless if you're going to go internal or external, you still have to have that business well oiled. If you're going to be turning it over to anybody whether it's internal or external, you don't want to risk, you know, getting your payout because you're not going to get it all at once and you don't want to risk whatever might be coming later by not having it be ready for someone else. The more money they have to pour into it, the more time they have to pour into it, the you know the less likely that they're going to be successful. And if they have to go get an SBA loan, the SBA knows that. So you also need to know about how you're going to finance that thing, and if it's lendable. So if you have a relationship with a bank, um, I'd recommend that you talk to someone at your bank right now and just say, "Hey, what are the SBA lending guidelines?" Okay tell me, you know, is my business lendable? Would you be able to put a loan on my business if I found a good buyer, whether I have an internal or an external? Because generally speaking, the smaller companies, SBA is the best option. And you know what? The rates are super low right now. The banks have got more latitude with SBA financing. And so it can be a great way to finance a business. You just got to be educated. We'll get back to our conversation with Julie Keys
0: in just one second. Hey, if you're listening to this episode and thinking, oh my gosh, like my business needs help, we're not doing any of the things that Julie's talking about, well, you should take a look at a blitz trip. A blitz trip is when myself and Grant Falco come into your business for two and a half days and we split up. I start with your sales, showroom, and marketing practices, and Grant goes into your inventory, warehousing, and installation systems, and we meet up in the middle. Throughout this entire time, we're going to be communicating with you as the business owner or manager to really help you understand what's going on with your business and outline a path. To follow. You know, this is something that we've done over and over for different businesses. And, and the common theme that we get is I finally have a roadmap because it's not some, you know, abstract consultant coming in that understands like management but has to try to apply it to the industry. These are people that have done this exact same thing for years and have overcome it and now want to share the same thing with you. So to take advantage of a blitz trip today, go to the website it'sfiretime.com slash blitz. That's it'sfiretime.com slash blitz and sign up for yours today. I'll just tell you that the quarter one Blitz trips, they they sold out. There was no more. And so you can take advantage of getting one at some point for the rest of the year right now by going to itSFiretime.com slash blitz. What I'd love to ask would be you know, for somebody listening right now, that's thinking like, I got to take advantage of this. I mean, I've put it off for long enough. I need to start thinking, right? I mean, like we all think we're going to live forever, but the truth is like, we're not like we're one phone call away from, Mm -hmm. you know, or one accident away from not being able to work. And like, so if if we're, if we're listening to this in a position saying like, enough is enough, I got to get started. What do you think? Can you give me like three bullet points of like, what are, what are the three things I just got to be really thinking about?
1: I just had this conversation with um, a prospect the other day, a couple of days ago, and my homework for that person was, I want you to find out how much your business is worth. So if your accounting firm can't give you a good number on what your business is worth, then find a company or get a referral to a company that can give you a range of value or a calculation. You're not looking for a full-blown valuation they cost a lot of money. Um, but to get a baseline valuation or a calculation is somewhere going to be between, you know, two and $5,000. Okay. And it's worth it. You need to know. You oh, need yeah. To know what it's worth. So do that. And then your next thing is if you don't have a relationship with a financial planner, you need to establish a relationship with a financial planner right away. And I mean a planner, not somebody who sells products. You know, We're not looking for someone to sell you some stock or an insurance policy. Although you may end up doing that, um, what you really need is a plan because you have no idea, many owners have no idea the value of their business and what they need in order to be able to maintain their lifestyle. They don't know. They have no, no idea. Mm-hmm. And so if our value of our business is a half a million, but we need 4 million to be able to maintain our lifestyle, then that means we either can't quit working or we have to try to close the value gap or make up for it with the capital markets. And if we don't have money to invest, then we kind of feel like we're behind the eight ball. But at least if we have a plan and we know what we can do um, to, to close that in some way, what, what are some of the things that we can do? A planner is the person who's going to be able to help with that. So get a valuation, establish a relationship with a planner, and you know, go through your entire budget. If you don't have a budget, then make one go through your customer list, uh, clean up your database. So that's more than three. That's all right. <laughs> Those are all things that you can do to to get to get yourself ready and to be thinking about what do you want to do next? You know, get excited about it. And, you know, I said something about, um, I hope I didn't put business brokers in a bad light before because I, I, I have a lot of respect for them. In fact, a lot of them are my friends. I just know that there are people out there that give them a bad name um, with some of the tactics. And so you just got to be really careful. But you know, if you're going to go external, you're going to need a broker. And the sooner you have a good relationship with a broker, the better off you'll be. And I would interview two or three people, um, decide on the person that is the best fit for you that you feel like you like the most, that could do a good job and that wants to establish a relationship and give you some help, and then stick with that person.
0: That's such good advice, Julie. And and I think that there's hope. I think for someone like if you're listening to this now, it's not too late. Now Mm -hmm. now you might have to be in your business a little bit longer than you wanted. I can guarantee it's going to be a ton of work, but this is work that pays off. I mean, do you have a success story about someone you've seen this be able to turn around their business and get a great return for it?
1: Well, I think not so much that, although that does happen and I have those stories too. But I think when we're talking about a smaller business, we may be talking about someone who isn't able to sell the business because they can't afford to. And I understand that that, that is out there, right? That, that happens. And and it's probably going to happen more now just because of the way things have occurred with the pandemic. People have lost some enterprise value and they may have to stay longer. So What? if you own your business until you die. Um, And I have a client that I'm working on with this because they thought for sure they had to sell, they had to sell. I said, why do you have to sell? Why can't we just uh, groom some people, your key people over the next couple of years to take over for you? And the two of you can spend more time at the cabin. You can do the traveling you want to do, but you're still engaged in the business. You're still making high-level decisions. You're still... Involved. You're just not there every single day, day to day. Julie. Why can't we do that? You
0: just nailed the dream. I, I really think that you nailed the dream for retailers in, our, in yeah. our industry. And I think that's very possible. Of course it is.
1: They, who, why do you have to sell? You don't have to sell. Everybody thinks, oh my gosh, I have to sell. And I think that that's why business owners are so afraid to get the process started because they can't imagine what their business is going to be like without, or their life is going to be like without their business, right? Who am I without my business? I even had that problem. It was tough. You know, you you spend a lot of time there. You've sacrificed a lot. You've worked really hard and um, you've paid a lot of dues and had, you know, some bad breaks. Everybody has. So you deserve some upside. And I think that if you can really, um, you know, like I said, read some really good books, hone in on some of the best uh, strengths of your business, focus on those and get some people to help you with some of the day-to-day stuff so you can step away and start really thinking about how can I grow this thing? You know, so put your head up, get your head up and, and and instead of looking down, right? It's the adage of working on your business versus working in it. And the more you work on it, the more magic things are going to happen. <laughs> it's just, it it just, it's a rule. It just happens.
0: Julie that is terrific and as we've been talking here I know that you've been working on a ton of resources so you know right about the time that this is released you're going to have a course that people can go through mm. and uh, you know can can you give us the website where people can go if the course isn't quite released by the time this comes out we at least have the waiting list because I know there's going to be a lot of business owners that that want to purchase this and be like man you know walk me through step by
1: step so I can actually start to plan Absolutely. Well, the the course today is called the Business Transition Readiness Course, BTR, Business Transition Readiness. And I may be changing the title, I'm not sure, but um, I'm in the process right now of taking that, that course from a Zoom platform into an online course platform. And so we're going to have a waiting list available at the Key Strategies website. So keystrategies.com, and that's spelled K-E-Y-E and the word strategies.com. Amazing! All, all the link to that in the show notes too. Great, awesome,
0: Julie. This has been amazing. I appreciate you being here, and you know, thanks a ton for just bringing such value to our audience today.
1: You're welcome, Tim. I hope I didn't ramble on too long. There's so much to say.
0: Oh, you were terrific. It was a
1: pleasure being here. We'll see you next time. <laughs> Thank you. All right, sounds good. Thanks.
0: Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Julie. I think it was absolutely tremendous. And just, I'm, I'm looking through my notes as we were talking. There's there's so many different things to hit on. Now, you know, I, I do feel like she presented, you know, the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth that there are some businesses that can't be sold. If, if that's your business, better to find that out now and make changes than get to the end of the line where, where age has forced you out. Or a health crisis or family emergency has put you in a position where you have to get out of the business. Like no one wants that. I think what's really cool though is most businesses in our industry are are good businesses. You know, many of the companies have terrific margins. Owners and operators make like a very reasonable, great, robust salary, and if the books were straightened out there's actually a lot of money left over at the end of the year i think that the, one of the problems is many business owners make all these sometimes personal expenses through the business so that on paper they don't have to pay any taxes since the business didn't didn't make any money but the problem is it, if the business didn't make any money the business isn't, isn't worth any money because no bank or 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 you know the SBA will will loan against a business that that doesn't provide profit in, instead what you can do listening to this is, is start now and, and start to, to run clean books where you, you don't run those personal expenses through the business and, and this does mean that you know you're gonna have to pay some taxes but man two to three years of some really healthy retained earnings in the company that starts to make you look terrific and you know at the very least this can allow you a budget to hire a general manager and pay them a good wage and maybe a portion of the profits at the end of the year to run your business. So that over time you can start to retire at the cabin, like she said, or spend, you know, two days a week, three days a week doing other things. I I think that she presented just an incredible kind of a third way where it's not either or you have to stay in your business or you have to totally get out. But but that picture of being able to still receive the passive income from it, make make some, you know, a few high-level decisions and and let a general manager really take that business somewhere is incredible. And Man, if you do that and the general manager sees how profitable the business is, I would I would guess that at some point in time, like they might want to buy it from you. So I think that there was a lot of really good things here. You know, like we mentioned at the beginning of the interview, she's written a book called Poise for Exit. You can go to her website, keystrategies.com. There's a link for that in the show notes where you can you can get that book. And also, you know, she has a course that is all about getting your business ready. And I would just encourage you, even if you're listening to this and you are 35, 40, 45 years old, and you're saying, you know, I'm I'm 20 years away from having to worry about this, do it now. You're going to make more money and run a better business in the meantime. And and for those of you who are older, hey, there there is hope. I, I as long as you're willing to put in some time and, and and I mean it's gonna it's gonna it's gonna take some effort. There's no question, but this is possible. And you know you have worked too hard to just shut your doors at the end of your career. Your business deserves a legacy and there's a lot of people that want to help you with that. Now, if this podcast has been a blessing for you and you want to support it financially, you can do that by going to the website patreon.com/itsfiretime. That's p a t r e o n.com/itsfiretime. And You know we say this every week, but but it means the world that that some of you are supporting this financially. I know that you don't have to, and and it's incredible. You know I want to give a shout out to Napoleon. They're a company that for a long time now has been making an investment in this podcast behind the scenes, and 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 I think it's amazing that that. just that they're looking to grow the industry, and they believe that this is a mechanism to do it. And for everybody else, I mean, I, I understand what it's like to not have a lot of money. So whether you're contributing five bucks a month or you know whatever you want to spend, it means a lot, and we don't take it lightly. Our our goal is to to truly be a voice for you, and we want to do that through the FireTime podcast, and and then you know more recently the FireTime magazine as well. So with all of that said, you know, man, we're flying through this season and, and I can't believe it, but you know, the remaining episodes are gonna be so awesome. I just think that like now is the time to invest in your business, and I, I can't wait for you to hear the rest of the season. So as always, have an amazing week. I hope you can take what you heard today and start putting it into practice right away. Thank you for listening to the Fire Time podcast. To learn more, visit the website, it's firetime.com.